If you'd like to open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I would invite you to do that, if you would please, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll spend most of our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning, but if you're in 1 Corinthians 6, you're close, and that's also where we will first read in our lesson this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll read in verse 9 here in just a second. When I was growing up, uh, using your fingers... Uh, to count in math class was frowned upon. When I was in third grade especially, and if you've heard my preaching over the last number of years, you know third grade was my worst grade in school. Had a rough year that year. And uh, the teacher that I had, the second teacher that I had, that was the one who threw the erasers at me. Um, That teacher, she was really big on this. And in fact, she told all of us, she said, I don't want to see you using your fingers when you're adding stuff up. So I had a great solution for that. I took my fingers and I put them right below my desk. And so under my desk, I would count and I could feel it like that. She caught on to that, of course. And so she started saying, for me at least, Reagan, you got to keep your hands up on your desk. And so I'd have to keep my hands up there on my desk. As an adult now, I feel vindicated in a couple of ways. Number one, modern research and education shows that using your fingers actually isn't a bad thing. But number two, maybe it's no coincidence that God gave us ten fingers. Because if you stop and think about it, throughout the Bible, lists of ten things where you have to count up to ten are common and powerful. If I gave you even just a couple of minutes to think about it, no doubt you could come up with a lot of lists of ten that we find in our Bibles. Even right there in just the the time during the Exodus, we think about the ten plagues, and then the ten commandments, and then we have the ten testings of God while in the wilderness. These lists of ten that teach us things. In the New Testament, the number 10 comes up a lot there as well. Jesus healed 10 lepers. There were 10 virgins or 10 coins or 10 minus in his parables. In the book of Revelation, we see several 10s, including factors and variations and products of 10 in that last book of the New Testament. But what about lists of 10? Well, we see some of those in the New Testament as well. If you're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 10 is kind of representative of completeness. It's a full number, just like you've got 10 fingers to count up on. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we have 10 kinds of sinners who will not inherit the kingdom of God. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Maybe this is vindictive for my third grade teacher, but I want you to get your hands out just a little bit and count to 10 as we go through this list. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, obviously, those aren't the only 10 sins that people commit, but that number 10, this list of 10, is kind of encompassing of the kinds of sins that people commit. And if we commit those kinds of sins, we're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But there is a much, much more positive list of ten that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And maybe at first glance, this list is not as obvious, 
But it is found right there in the first 10 verses of chapter 1. Of these first 10 verses of 1 Corinthians, Jesus is mentioned at least once in all 10. And what we find in these verses is a powerful and wonderful and encouraging list of 10. What I'm going to call this morning, 10 Shared Blessings in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, before we go over those 10, let me just take a second and thank you for being here. I see a number who are visiting with us. I see some who uh, we've not seen for a little while, and we're grateful to see you here with us this morning. We appreciate your interest in spiritual things. And this morning, I really hope that this will be encouraging to you to see what all Christians can and should have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our Lord as Jesus is called at least three times in these ten verses, emphasizes that all Christians share in Him. We share in His Lordship over us, and He is the one who directs and commands us in the right way to go. And if we make Him our Lord, there are some blessings that come from that relationship. If we are His servants and He is our Lord. Uh, We're going to read all ten of these verses in a second, but for now, let's just read verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, Paul says, to those who are sanctified, set apart, made holy in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both their Lord and ours. So we are called by God and we also call on him. And it's unclear who exactly the theirs and ours is here, their Lord and ours. Maybe it's Paul and Sosthenes and the Corinthians and then all other Christians. Perhaps it's just Paul and Sosthenes and all other Christians. Perhaps it's Jews and Gentiles. He's our Lord and theirs. Perhaps it's the apostles and all other Christians. No matter where you are in terms of authority, he's still your Lord. But whoever the two groups are specifically, the point that Paul is making here is crystal clear. Jesus Christ is Lord of all Christians. He is recognizing the differences between us, theirs and ours, while emphasizing the need for and blessings of unity in Christ when we make him our Lord. And as we consider this quarter uh, being rooted and grounded in Christ specifically, These ten verses are a beautiful reminder of what Christ has done for all of us, what we share in common in terms of blessings. And while in verse 11, Paul starts uh, to deal with everything that's wrong with the church in Corinth, and believe me, they had plenty that was wrong, verses 1 through 10 are a picture of how right, how right everything can be in Christ. This is an ideal in some ways, But it is not unattainable. It's not unattainable for you as an individual Christian or me. And it's not unattainable in a local church. It is possible in the life of every Christian and in in the midst of every church that belongs to Christ. Okay, so what is it? What's the list? Well, let's begin reading in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all 
who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of or about Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm or establish you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, This list of ten is obviously not as readily apparent as some of the other lists that we see, but I believe we find ten things here. So what are our ten shared blessings in Christ that all Christians have and should have? Almost threw that at everybody right there. Number one, we all find purpose through His will. Read verse one again. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And Sosthenes, our brother. We know that Paul has to defend his apostleship in this letter. It is hinted at that some are attacking his authority as an apostle. And that's made explicit in 2 Corinthians 10 and 11. Some are actively questioning Paul's authority. But he was an apostle by the will of God. Paul says, yes, I'm an apostle, but it's, it's not like it was my idea. It was God's idea. It was by the will of God, not by men. And Paul was always very much aware that who he was was by the grace of God and according to God's purposes. His purpose was found in God's purpose for him. Now, obviously, we're not apostles. But here's the point for us. Any of us as Christians are what we are and who we are because of Christ. Amen? Paul was who he was, just as we are who we are because of the will of God. And I know who I am. I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going. I know what my purpose is. I find my true purpose and identity in Christ's will. And whatever else I am, whatever else I do, However others may know me or however I think about myself, I am first and foremost and overall a Christian. And that is my purpose. And so we all find our purpose through the will of God. Number two, we all call on his name for salvation. Let's read verse two a third time. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified, set apart, made holy, In Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. We call on his name, and that's what Paul did, and that's what we do, and we're saved in the very same way. 
We remember in the book of Acts that Ananias comes to Paul in Damascus after Paul has been struck blind by Christ on that road where he's heading to to persecute Christians. And Ananias comes to him and he tells him, this is God's will for you. And these are all of the wonderful things that you're going to be doing. I'm giving you your purpose and it's by God's will for Christ. But then what is it that he tells him to do in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16? And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. And what are you doing if you do that? Calling on the name of of the Lord. Now God has a will. He has a purpose that he intends for your life, but you can only fulfill that purpose and that will if you call on the name of the Lord for salvation. And we call on Jesus to wash away our sins. By his sacrifice and by his blood we are made holy, sanctified. When we come in submission to his name, to his authority in baptism. In the name of Jesus, And only by His authority is that salvation given. And we see that again in uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them after He has risen from the dead, before He ascends, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. That's what you're trying to do. Make disciples of all nations, He says to His apostles. How do you do that? baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. You want to make a disciple? You have to go. You have to baptize in the name of Jesus. You have to teach them to observe what it is Jesus said. So, God has a will and purpose for you, but you must first be saved by the authority of Jesus. And if you are... We all find grace and peace through him. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This was a standard greeting or you might call a blessing in almost all of the New Testament epistles. Paul's writings, the writings of the other New Testament authors. And grace, charis, was a common greeting among the Gentiles. If you wanted to say good morning to somebody, you'd say charis, grace. And peace was a common greeting among the Jews, right? We think in Hebrew that word shalom, right? And what Paul does is he takes these two standard greetings and he puts them together. He steals them and uses them for Christian purposes. And he says, grace and peace from our God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ. This is what I wish and want for you. Grace and peace is what we see with the two uh, this letter was from as well. That is what they had experienced, Paul and Sosthenes. And Paul's conversion is familiar to us, that he was a persecutor of the church and all those sorts of things. Uh, We read just a little bit of that a moment ago. But think about this other name. Think about Sosthenes. Have we heard that before? Turn back to Acts chapter 18, if you would. Mark your spot in 1 Corinthians 1. I believe this is the only time we'll actually turn to another uh, passage, so... If you'll make the effort, I'd really appreciate it to turn to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Paul has come to Corinth. He's reasoned and persuaded Jews and Gentiles. And what we see in verse 11 
is that he continued there in Corinth for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Then Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia, the Jews, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, clearly he had had interaction with the Jews before, right? If it's one of these things, for uh, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took... Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. Now, Sosthenes is a fairly common name. But he was well known enough to the church in Corinth that he could be named at the beginning of this letter with no further explanation of who he was. And that makes it likely that this is talking about the same man. The same man who once took Paul before the judgment seat of the Gentiles is now with Paul and writing back to this church in Corinth. What an example of grace, conversion, and peace from conflict. And maybe there's application. If Paul, with his persecution of the church, and Sosthenes, with his persecution of Paul, if they could turn it around and be saved by God's grace and ultimately be brothers working side by side, then there was hope for the church in Corinth and hope for us to find grace and peace in our lives as well. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the next in our list, number 4, we are all enriched in everything by Him. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him. One of my favorite passages follows this same sort of uh, pattern. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, Paul's greeting is, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then notice what he says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We are enriched in everything spiritually in the heavenly places in Christ when we have grace and peace in Him. If grace and peace weren't enough, we have every spiritual blessing. And and he enumerates what many of those blessings are in chapters 1 and 2 and 3 in the book of Ephesians. But at the end of chapter 3, he goes on to say that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. And I'm going to list 10 of these shared blessings from 1 Corinthians 1 this morning. But know this, there is a long list of blessings that are not included in this list of 10. The power of prayer and the blessing that we have that God hears it. That's not found here. The working of God's providence. The surety of His promises. The effectiveness of His design for the family, for our work, for our finances, for the church. We are enriched in everything spiritually by Him, including many things beyond this list of ten. 
And so this provides this catch-all for us, that every spiritual blessing that we have in Christ, we can find in him. Number five, we have all confirmed all knowledge by him. Verse five, you were enriched in everything by him, specifically in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Now, in our context here in Corinthians, he's probably talking about miraculous gifts, that the Holy Spirit gave them this miraculous ability to know what it is God would have them to do. But we have this same kind of knowledge in a complete way in God's Word. Notice, for example, if you want to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, it's kind of small on the screen, but I wanted to put it on the screen just so that I could highlight the the pronouns that we see here in, in yellow. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, Peter says this, Grace and peace, well, we've heard that before, right? Be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, we've heard that, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, he says, you, our, and us. And if we look back just one verse to verse 1, Peter has just called himself an apostle, one of who has this power of the Holy Spirit. And so he says he has given to us, the apostles and prophets, all things that pertain to life and godliness. But he is our Lord, and what's going to happen? Given to us all these things through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these you, the people to whom Peter was writing, but also to you, and to you, and to you, and to you, and to me. Through these promises revealed by the Holy Spirit, we can be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and all these things that he enumerates in the following verses. Peter calls himself an apostle. And of course we know him to be one of those closest eyewitnesses and a recipient of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And he and the other inspired apostles and prophets were given all knowledge by the Holy Spirit. But then they revealed and confirmed those things to other Christians. And he wrote those things down so that we might know all things that pertain to life and godliness. Isn't it wonderful that God just doesn't say, oh, I've got a purpose for you. And we say, great, Lord, what is it? And he's like, well, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I have one for you. Instead, he reveals through his word. He says, you live your life like this and you will fulfill your purpose. Love this idea that we can have confirmed all knowledge, all knowledge that we need to live our lives in accordance with God's will. We have this same knowledge that Peter and Paul had in a completed form in the Word of God. Number six, we are not lacking in Him. Verse seven says, so that you come short are not lacking in any gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's not just that we are enriched in everything, but he makes clear that we aren't lacking in anything either. There is no gaping hole in our lives. And I think that's an important point for us to add. Don't we all know people who are seemingly, from the outside, enriched in everything? I mean, everything that they touch turns to gold. It's like they've got seven geese who laid the golden egg. Anything they do, it seems that they are enriched by those things And yet when you dig a little deeper, there is no contentment. They are not fulfilled. It's like they're chasing something that's missing or lacking in their lives. And often, the missing thing is Christ. But as Christians, we know that God provides all of our needs, both physically and spiritually. And we can experience the deep satisfaction of fulfillment when we aren't lacking in anything that is needed. Number seven, we are established and blameless in Him. Verse eight, who will also establish you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are solid, and we are without blame. Not perfect, but sanctified. And we can stand before God in judgment with confidence, with no fear or trepidation. Imagine that, standing before God and being blameless before Him. In the presence of authority, we often have trepidation, even if we are blameless. There's, there's often a little fear there, even if we've done nothing wrong. Uh, you know, I've shared with y'all that I've been pulled over by... Uh, Highway department people in various states at different points in my life. And uh, there's always a little trepidation, usually because I know that I was speeding and I deserve the ticket that I'm about to get. But there have been a few times where I've been pulled over and and I'm blameless. I've done nothing wrong, right? Um, And those are the times we tend to remember. But there's still a little trepidation. There's a little fear, even in being blameless when somebody walks up to, to the window. But what if that person is the one who is on our side? What if that person is our friend? I was driving through Groveton. I almost got myself in a lot of trouble. I was driving through Groveton, and if you don't know, Jimmy Sims is stationed over there as a highway uh, patrol officer. Uh, And uh, I saw this cruiser that was by the side of the road, and I almost sped up and honked. I'm like, but oh, there's maybe another one here. So I slowed down a lot and just looked in the window and waved, and it wasn't Jimmy. Uh, And so I just drove really, really carefully. In fact, he pulled out and kind of pulled behind me for a little ways, whoever it was. Uh, And I had my story ready. I was like, hey, do you know Jimmy? You know, that's who I thought you were and so forth. Um, But there's some trepidation there. Unless that person is your friend, unless they're on your side, And you know that you're blameless before them. That's how we can stand before God with confidence. Not in our own perfect works, but that we've been made blameless before God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that an incredible blessing that whenever the the Lord comes again or my life ends, I am established and blameless in Him. And that's something that we share in common as we all have fellowship with Him. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a relationship here far deeper and more important than blood or any other physical commonality. Fellowship with Christ 
and fellowship with one another in Christ. These are my brothers and sisters. I have a family, and what a blessing that is. Number nine, we submit to his authority. We submit to his name. Uh, Verse 10 says this, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My authority comes from Jesus, Paul says, and I plead with you by his authority, by his name, because I know you will submit to his name. And you say, wait a second, I thought these were like blessings. Why are you talking about submitting to authority like it's a blessing? Because it is, in this case, because of the one to whom we're submitting. When something comes by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should all immediately say, okay, whatever it is, I don't even care what it is you have to say next. If it is truly by the name, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'll do it. Whatever it is. And so we have this capacity and ability as Christians to live and act based on His authority, not my own. And so I strive, as Paul says in Colossians 3 and verse 17, to make it where whatever I do, in word or deed, I do all in the name, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if someone has an issue with something that I do, and it is something that I am doing by the authority of Jesus Christ, I should be able to say, your issue is not with me, take it up with the Lord, because I am doing this by His authority. And then finally, number 10, we all can be perfectly joined together in Him, that you may all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. If we see and have these other nine things, then unity is just a natural outgrowth of that. And that was Paul's point in the context. And it is their division that he will address beginning in verse 11 and following. And Paul says, look at this. Look at what you have been blessed with. It's incredible. How can you be divided? And these ten things are true of my brother, they're true of my sister, they're true of me. Which brings us to our application. I I want us to look and see clearly these ten things, these ten shared blessings we have in Jesus Christ. I've just highlighted them. We have purpose, we have salvation, we have grace and peace, we're enriched in everything, we have all knowledge, we're not lacking, we're established and blameless with fellowship with one another in Christ, doing all by His authority, perfectly joined together. I mean, that's awesome. And if we see and acknowledge these ten things, count them up. Where does that leave us? Well, let's make some very brief application here at the end of our lesson. Seeing and acknowledging these ten things does some very powerful things for us. It is the foundation for solving all problems that might arise in the local church. Which letter in the New Testament is the most negative? The one where we just read these ten verses about all of our shared blessings in Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to address all of the problems that the church in Corinth had. This was a church in crisis. But Paul begins by reminding them of what they should have in Jesus Christ. 
Paul starts his letter by carefully listing everything that they had. Not everything that they were doing wrong, but reminding them of everything that they had in Jesus Christ. And maybe that's a lesson for us, at least for me. I'll raise my hand. Too often I have begun difficult conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ. I've begun with, hey, I love you and I care about you and all those sorts of things. But I begin with, what are you doing? You can't do this. This is wrong. And we have to be willing. We have to be brave enough to have those conversations out of love with our brothers and sisters. But my experience is usually that goes pretty poorly. And it is often followed by a lot of self-justification. But maybe, maybe we should follow Paul's example here and start with, look, my beloved brother, look what you have in Jesus Christ. Why in the world would you want to throw that away? Why would you want to endanger this? So maybe the, so what are you doing? You can't do this will hit a little bit differently. And if we truly have this in common, we're going to be able to work all things out with one another. Number two, seeing and acknowledging these ten things should drive us to our knees in humility. There is no room left for pride when we see these ten things that we have in Christ Jesus. And what was the rude attitude or issue the Corinthians had that caused all of their problems? The problem... In one word was pride. It was arrogance. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 31, he sums up this section by saying, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. They made themselves Lord of their own lives, and so Paul reminds them, no, Jesus Christ is our Lord, and he is the one who's given you all of these things. And this pride was manifesting itself in all of these other sins that we find them involved in. Look in chapter 4 in verse 6, for example. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Verse 18 of the same chapter. Now some are puffed up, arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. Uh, chapter 5 and verse 2. And you are puffed up in your sin and have not rather mourned. Verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And we could go through the rest of the chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians and see this theme of pride. But if we remember that Christ is the one who has done all of these things for us, there is no room left for pride. Instead... It allows us to do all things in gratitude without grumbling or complaining. Uh, I'm going to ask, I was listening for it this morning, and I actually had a, uh, at least one of you say this in response to me. How are you doing? What do we say sometimes? I can't complain. What do we mean by that? When we say, I can't complain. You know what we mean? I think this is what we mean. I could complain. I mean, I've got some things in my life that I could be complaining about, but I have enough perspective to realize that I have far more things in my life for which I should be grateful. So, I can't complain. Now, don't misunderstand me with this point. We should still cast our burdens on God. We should cast our burdens on other Christians that we are willing to share with one another what's wrong in our lives. We should be willing to do that. But at the same time, 
we realize we have a perspective that any trials or hardships do not change these ten things that we've listed this morning and more. And that's what we try and do with our children, right? If they're arguing, if they're complaining, we tell them what? Count your blessings. Hey, what's right with this situation? And we should do the same. And Paul says in Philippians 2 that living a life like this without complaining or arguing will make us shine as lights in the world because it's different. And it all starts by seeing the shared blessings that we have in Christ. And then finally, seeing and acknowledging these ten things is a picture of being rooted and grounded in Christ. This is the kind of life that we should all want to live. These are the blessings we should all want to have. But these ten things that we've enumerated this morning, this list of ten, these ten things are only found in Jesus Christ. And every one of these ten things is available to you this morning. If you're willing to come in humble submission to make Jesus Christ your Lord, to be saved by His blood as you call upon His name in baptism. And if we can help you with that even this morning, come now while together we stand and while we sing.